This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy Woo! and sadness oh. and anger. Ah. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. Ah. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. Ah. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Welcome to the Successful Farming Podcast. I'm Jody Henke. Joining me today is Lee Van Wyken, Executive Director of Science Policy for the Weed Science Society of America. Lee, what is this organization all about? Weed Science Society of America is a nonprofit professional society that promotes the uh, research management of uh, noxious and invasive weeds and cropland weeds in uh, natural and agricultural settings. So uh, we have members from academia, from the land-grant universities, research and extension and teaching, also uh, from industry, several um, you know, consultants and uh, crop and water land managers. So pretty diverse group, but we're all concerned about weeds. So we you know, get a lot of strange looks sometimes. Oh, you guys aren't the only ones concerned about weeds. I think everybody who grows anything out of the ground is also concerned about weeds. So how do you guys develop research priorities? We have a research priorities committee. And so from that committee, they you know go through every year and survey the membership and try to keep up on current and um, future topics of interest. And so you know, a couple of the more interesting priorities that have evolved are weed genomics and then precision egg technologies. And so uh, we've been uh, trying to advance and push those initiatives. And those are you know some fascinating up and coming areas for weed management. Can you give me some examples? Yeah, sure. So um, across the country, really, uh, weed genomics, you know, was barely on uh, anyone's plate, you know, a decade ago. And uh, we did have, you know, some weed geneticists, you know, within the discipline, uh, but that is been expanding rapidly. And so there's initial research that shows that we might be able to use some of our most successful weeds, like palmer amaranth and water hemp, separate male and female plants. And you can use um, genetics, gene drive technology to uh, make the male plant sterile or plant seeds that would make them sterile. You know, this is in theory, um, the work has been done from the science end of it, but, you know, we still have a ways to go. But you could have these male plants out there crossing with the female, the fertile ones, and then they'd be sterile and you could drive the population down that way. So it would be uh, almost like a new paradigm of control. You know, we have mechanical control, herbicide control, cultural crop rotation, those type of things, biological control, but this would be genetic control. So that's an exciting area that we're slowly diving into. Would this be something that the farmers would have to work with? How would that work with the genetics? In theory, you would have to plant one of these sterile male plants out in your field, you know, every 100 feet or so. You'd have to do this over a number of years, but then you, you could slowly drive that seed bank population down to zero or near zero, if that's possible. You always have birds and animals and combines and stuff bringing new seed into the field. But yeah, so that's one exciting new research area that's you know on the horizon. 
you know, the other being trying to advance the site-specific technology where you're recognizing, you know, differentiating the crop versus the weed in real time. And not just, you know, spraying them with herbicides or using mechanical, but other types of weed management or weed control tools. There's electrification. Some research is going on there using lasers, just use cooking oil, hot oil. I mean, you name it. There's flaming. Uh, there's lots of different ways to uh, try and attack these weeds. Cooking oil, whatever, you know, <laughs> whatever a farmer can find to kill these things. I think, you know, you never know what may be the next breakthrough along with genetics when a farmer needs to control the weeds. But what do you think is the most needed breakthrough in weed science or technology that would help us control weeds in the fields? Well, I mean, we see resistance management um, as still the number one driving issue, you know, across the discipline. Um, growers like to use herbicides, you know, for the most part, they're very um, affordable and effective and easy to use. But we have to get this uh, message out to the grower community, like, yes, it's going to cost you more up front uh, to manage these weeds, you know, using an integrated system. You can't just spray the same, you know, mode of action herbicide every year and expect not to get resistance, basically guaranteed that will happen if you do that. So um, you have to have an integrated approach, not just with weeds, but any pest for that matter. We have to get in that mindset not to do that, to keep diversifying our strategies. Lee, we talked about messing with the genetics in weeds such as palmer amaranth to help control them. What other research is going on? Is there even more at the molecular level? Maybe some from other countries? What do you see happening right now? So at the molecular level, unfortunately, that funding is very hard to come by, the research funding. Things like molecular tools to regulate bud dormancy, genes, you know, in perennial weeds. Can we control when they go dormant or when the seeds germinate, you know, those type of things. You know, can we um, start to change some of those um, characteristics that would make the weed easier to control, you know, especially in some of our perennial weeds and so forth. Our commodity groups, I mean, they're very supportive of the research, you know, but, you know, from a federal public funding level, those insects and uh, pathogens, you know, they're much more sexier to fund, you know, when you get butterflies and all that stuff. So, yeah, the weeds, you know, we're on the tail end that we could definitely use a dose of research funding to help go after some of these basic research questions about weeds. So who does the weed research? Is it kind of spread out around the country? Yeah, most of the land-grant universities have, you know, weed scientists, weed researchers. Um, you know, some departments and programs are bigger than others, depending on, you know, the crops and the agricultural priorities. You know, out west, you have a lot more public lands. And so those tend to be smaller programs just because you don't have the agricultural grower groups and commodity groups to help support that. And then you have the industry folks. And so, of course, we've seen the consolidation within the registrants that I refer to them. Because, you know, when I work with EPA and herbicide regulatory issues, you know, we're down to three or four or five big ones. So those researchers, you know, a lot of them that do development research, new products. I mean, there is a few herbicides that are in the pipeline that are five to 10 years away. We'll see where that goes. In your opinion, Lee, which weed is a farmer's greatest enemy right now? Well, we've been kind of talking about them already. I don't offend my members because if I'm in the Midwest, I better say water hemp's the worst weed out there. But if I'm in the southern region in particular, Palmer amaranth is without question the number one. And of course, they're kissing cousins. They're both uh, in the amaranthus family, and they're both 
outcrosses, so they both have separate male and female plants. And when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Then they just, you know, they have taken off and pretty much since the uh, introduction of Roundup Ready crops, they have grown exponentially in their importance. And now they rank on the top every year of the most common and troublesome weeds. And yeah, and Palmer Amaranth and water hemp consistently are at the very top of that now all the time. And it's because of their resistance issues, basically. Uh, there's water hemp in the Midwest that's resistant to six or seven different herbicide modes of action. And uh, that's, you know, getting basically to the end of the list of effective herbicides, you know. So Palmer Amaranth is just a behemoth. I mean, in terms of its seed production, photosynthetic use efficiency, nitrogen use efficiency. I mean, it's got a lot of desirable characteristics that most crops would love to have. Just how it competes everything. It's just a very good survivor and it's spreading like crazy. Lee, what are some of the more common myths that you guys always hear and you know aren't true? Well, the one that's been the biggest thorn in my side is the uh, superweed myth. And where we actually have online dictionaries that still refer to these superweeds, I think it was the Oxford Dictionary, you know, weed which is extremely resistant to herbicides, especially one created by the transfer of genes from genetically modified crops into wild plants. And uh, that's just, you know, flat out wrong. And, you know, this is in the definition of a superweed in the Oxford Dictionary. So, you know, we've put together some fact sheets and so forth to discuss uh, why that's not the case. You know, if they want to call Palmer Amaranth or water hemp a superweed, it's a superweed because it has a lot of characteristics that make it a superior competitor to uh, most of the crops. Plus, you know, it you know, has some inherent capabilities, you know, to metabolize herbicides and find ways around for resistance to those herbicides. But it's not because they receive some traits from genetically modified crop. And that's, you know, an absolute myth. There's very few crops that actually outcross with any weeds of any significance. Maybe some of the canola, you know, there's wild canola, but those weeds have not become any type of a major issue. I think sunflower has, you know, there's a wild sunflower relative that's considered a weed. The genetically modified crops are not causing super weeds. Any other myths that you would like to squelch? That's pretty much the biggest one. You know, I hear lots of uh, different facts about, you know, herbicide use and weed control, you know, in conventional systems and organic systems and that type of thing. But one of the actual myths, you know, is that there's no herbicides used in organic agriculture. But, you know, for the most part, I mean, they have to kill their weeds somehow. So they rely more heavily on crop rotations, but there's a lot of mechanical tillage and they still have some natural weed control chemicals that they can use. So when it comes down to managing weeds, I mean, it's really all about using an integrated approach and changing up your tactics, having a good crop rotation, whether you're conventional or organic. You know, for the organic guys, hats off to them. I mean, it's a very intensive management situation to uh, try and control those weeds. And that's why more people don't do it because even under the best scenario, sometimes you just, 
you lose, you know, to the weeds, you have to terminate your crop or you lose most of your yield. They're ever present, the weeds that are out there. And the, well, I know they're the biggest limiting factor in organic agriculture production. So that's what shows up on their surveys. Getting deeper in the weeds here, no pun intended, I guess. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. When you guys are doing your research, how deep do you go? Well, I mean, like we mentioned before with the molecular level, and we're starting to map the entire genomes of some of these species. I believe they have six genera of weeds that actually have placed all of their genetic information. In, so we can start to uh, characterize different parts of that genome and discover their origins and spread and all kinds of fascinating things. And Palmer amaranth has very high photosynthetic use efficiency. It does better at photosynthesis than most of the crops it competes against because, I mean, that's just built into its genetics. So can we, you know, identify some of those mechanisms and actually put those into our crops? So there's lots of information. That's, you know, how deep we're getting into the weeds. And we weren't doing that two decades ago. And some of the other pest disciplines, you know, entomology, plant pathology, they're much farther along, of course, just because they have more funding available. But uh, we're trying to slowly um, get that funding increasing, you know, the funding for other uh, pest management disciplines like entomology and plant pathology. However, you know, we're starting to catch up a little bit and, and we're excited about some funding from USDA, from the National Institute of Food and Agriculture, helping support a weed genomics conference this fall of September in Kansas City. That's tentative yet. It will happen at some point, uh, regardless of what happens with COVID, but we're seeing some good movement towards that direction to uh, try and identify genetic traits that make weeds so successful. Tell me when a producer, farmer, rancher goes to your website, the Weed Science Society of America, what will they see and how can they use it for their advantage? Well, we are in the process of updating our website. Uh, we have headlines of our most recent information, you know, pertinent to the discipline and to the members, but Probably uh, the most applicable part would be the section under weeds. There's a ton of information under the weeds tab in terms of identification, lots of information on herbicide resistance. There's the take action group, they're called, um, out of the Midwest. And well, they're all, all over the country now on herbicide resistance management, teaching uh, farmers or growers and applicators modes of action and sites of action to prevent resistance. There's information on the actual herbicides themselves and lots of other tools, you know, that should be helpful, links to tools them uh, find resources to better manage their weeds. We're coming here to the end of the podcast. Uh, Lee, are there any other tips or advice you'd like to pass along? Well, first and foremost is to rotate your herbicide modes of action and use an integrated approach. I mean, it's almost guaranteed that you're going to have resistance if you do the same thing, spray the same thing five years, 10 years in a row. You're going to uh, put enough selection pressure on a, on a population of a given weed species to create resistance. So you have to, uh, you have to keep changing up those tactics. And this goes back even to one of my favorite examples is back when they hand weeded and still hand weed rice in Southeast Asia. And there's barnyard grasses very similar to rice over the course of, uh, I don't know if it was decades or maybe even a century that the barnyard grass adapted to look exactly like the rice. And so they didn't know if they were pulling out the rice or the barnyard grass. No matter if we're pulling them out ourselves or spraying a herbicide, 
or what have you, we've been survivors. So you got to keep changing up your tactics. That would be my number one tip. We'd always love uh, to have a little bit more research dollars so we can you know, work on some of the problems and solutions. So if you guys are out there and you're working through your commodity boards or grower groups and what have you, um, I know weeds always kind of be down the list, but if you can uh, mention that, hey, we need to get some more research for weed science research, that'd be very appreciative. Thanks to Lee Van Wyken of the Weed Science Society of America for being my guest. And thank you for listening. For a successful farming, I'm Jody Henke.